Well, good morning, everybody, and Merry Christmas. I realize it's not December 25th quite yet, but man, I love this month. I don't know about you, but I love Christmas season. I love the lights. I love the uh, excitement that brews throughout the community. I love to watch nearly everywhere in the world, you will see colored lights and people's lives uh, behaving differently just because of the excitement of this time of the year, even in places where the name of God is not really named there. You will still see places decorate up for Christmas and there's a vibrance in the atmosphere just because of the time of the year. It's exciting to see the fact that the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost, which was all of us. And to see now all this light and excitement brew throughout the world. And yet in the middle of all this that is so pretty and so exciting, there's obviously trouble on every corner, isn't there? It's a tough time. We see wars and conflicts in our own, among our own people. We see this all over the world and trying to make heads or tails out of what's happening. And yet God's called us into a relationship with him. And what we've been studying these last few weeks is what it looks like for our lives as a Christ follower to be in alignment with God, to align our purpose of our life. And why are we breathing God's air today? God left us on the planet once, he, once you became a Christ follower because we know that God's desire is that you will live with Him forever. And so it would seem like, well, if that's the case, then the second we become a Christian, then God should just take us on to heaven, right? Well, no, because He now lives with you. He lives in you. So He is with you, but He has a mission and a purpose for your life. So while you're on this planet breathing God's air, He has a purpose for you to make disciples and to make His name known and let the gospel be known all over the world so that the world will know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ came to give His life for ours, to pay our sin debt, that through Him we might have eternal life. And we all have this purpose. And to align our hearts with God's heart and to be able to love God then, and we've been studying this now, what does it mean then to love the Lord God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength? And for the last few weeks, that's what we have given our attention to is aligning ourselves in our love for God. I love the, you know, the, the foreshadowing of the imagery of the cross in the Bible. And what I mean is even the physical, literal cross, because you look at this cross member where you have this vertical beam and then a horizontal one and the way our Lord hung upon that and He's the center of the whole thing. But it speaks into these two great commandments of God. The great commandment of loving the Lord God, that vertical relationship of loving Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and yet the second commandment is like it and that is to love our neighbor as ourself. And you see then the horizontal relationships of going out in both directions then. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus was confronted with an individual who asked in regards to the great commandments of old. And this was the answer. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Today I want to talk about that verse 31 of what does it mean to love our neighbor. I want to inspire you today and encourage you. Because I believe one community church, as a church family, I love what we do. Our church is highly engaged in this community. We're engaged around the world. 
and we're not satisfied because we always want to do more. Every time since we have started our church since five years ago, every time I have stood in front of you and presented an opportunity for our church to engage locally or globally, it is met with instant response. And so I was like, well, why are you having to preach about alignment? Well, maybe I'm just preaching to the choir today, and that's okay. But I I don't know about you, but I, I find some challenge in this to love my neighbor. Now, my neighbors that live next door to me, they're great people, so I love them dearly. They're, they're fine. But I'm talking about loving neighbor in the, in the sense of Scripture, of what we're going to see today. Well, sometimes that's challenging. In fact, when I look around the globe and we're, we're called then to interact with people all over the planet, well, there's sometimes people I don't really desire to interact with. Well, that's what challenges me today in my alignment with God's heart when it comes to loving my neighbor as myself. This phrase, loving your neighbor as yourself, is also mentioned, and not only do you see it in, in idea in the, in the book of Exodus, when God gives the Ten Commandments, and then that's reiterated again in Deuteronomy, but the phrase to love your neighbor as yourself doesn't appear in that Ten Commandment package. But what it is, it's a summary of interactions with people. That whole aspect of not coveting and and not to murder and not to steal and not to commit adultery. Well, all of that gets summarized in a single phrase, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, in the book of Leviticus, where a lot of the aspects of the law are carried out a lot more, are illustrated more thoroughly, you'll see this phrase. And I'm going to show it to you in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19 is an entire chapter on moral type laws of, of like what I described of not stealing and not commit, uh, coveting after things and committing uh, some kind of a trespass against your neighbor. Summarized, real simple. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, when I go to the New Testament, what's the instruction for us as a church? Do you find these phrases? It's interesting that of all of these great commandment, this second portion of this is mentioned multiple times. Romans chapter 13, verse 9 says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, let's get another illustration from it. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So here's what I just learned. The summary of all those interactive with mankind verses in the commandments summarizes in love your neighbor. But I learned something else here. Love does no harm to his neighbor. Well, Galatians chapter 5 teaches me this. And here's the context of Galatians. Galatians, The church in Galatia is having trouble with conflict in the church between the new Jewish believers and the Gentiles who have come out of paganism. And the Jews are wanting to impose their Judaism as Christians, but impose the laws and traditions and things that they've always known on top of these people that are not Jews. And saying, well, if you want to be a real Christian, really devoted, you're going to do these things to your body and you're going to observe these days and feast and all this stuff. And Paul is now in this letter to the church of Galatia. He's, he's ministering to the problem. 
In Galatians 5.13, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You're set free. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. In the church, it was like this. We use those phrases sometimes. As, Man, that dude, he's got a real bite to him, doesn't he? And we use that phrase. Or we might even say it like this, man, he chewed me up one side and down the other. That's biting and devouring. You see that happening in relationships. But Paul says that is not love. That is not loving your neighbor. There's no place for that kind of vernacular to take place, especially among the brethren. But is there a place really anywhere for that? There is a place to rebuke the oppressor. There's a place to rebuke the evildoer and the wicked, of course. But this concept of bite and devour in our homes, in our church, in, in our community, well, no, that's a contradiction to the Scripture. That's not what love looks like for a neighbor. James chapter 2, verse 8 says this, if you, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, so here it is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law of, as transgressors. Showing partiality in context of James chapter 2, he's describing that when someone comes walking in to the environment of believers, maybe, that is dressed really well, that he gets special treatment compared to the one that's not. And the whole point being is, with God, there's no partiality. And so there should not be among believers either. So what have I learned? Okay, I'm summarizing all of these interactive relationship laws with, number one, love does no harm to anyone. It's not the point. Love does no harm. The second is love doesn't show any partiality. And what else? And love does not bite or devour each other. So I get all these, okay, it's not, not, not. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not murdering. I'm not coveting. I'm not, okay, I'm summarizing all this. I know not what, I know now what not to do, right? But I guess let's pose another question in this. Who's my neighbor? When the scripture says to love my neighbor, am I supposed to just look on the people on either side of me? And I, I would be willing to bet that some of us in this room, maybe many of us, don't know the name of your neighbor. Now, I'm not here to challenge you on that, but in the culture we live today, people pull in their driveway, the garage door goes up, the garage door goes down, and everybody's sealed off in their little safety nets. I get that. But when the scripture is describing my neighbor, what does this actually mean? Well, Jesus had somebody pose this question to him, in fact. A lawyer approached him, and he's an expert in the laws and customs of the Jews. And so he poses this question towards Jesus because what is he wanting to do? He's wanting to justify himself or declare righteous that because I haven't murdered, I haven't coveted, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't stolen anything, then I guess... I can check all the boxes that I'm good. And so then Jesus, uh, he addresses this issue then of the lawyer asked, so who's my neighbor? Luke chapter 10, verse 29. Let's watch the dialogue. But he, the lawyer guy, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, one who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, 
And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now stop. We got a man laying in the ditch who's been beat up by the, the thieves. And a priest, Jesus calls it out specifically, a priest, one of the religious elite who knows the law of God and would be an expert in laws and customs of God, who really serves even as a priest, is a mediator between the people and God in the relationship. So this, this guy should know his stuff. And the, of anyone that would be leading the charge of love your neighbor as yourself, this should be the dude. When he sees it, what does he do? He sees the guy and it says, and he passed by on the other side. Because after all, if you get far away from it, you don't really know it exists, right? Well, then the next guy comes by. Likewise, verse 32, a Levite. Now, Levites were the servants of the temple. They were the tribe of, of, the, tribe of the Levites was specifically called out to serve in temple work. So once again, these would be people that would flat know the word of God. And so to, you would expect that they would be the ones to help. And when he arrived at the place, he came and looked. So he's not ignorant of it. He saw it. But he passed by on the other side as well. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan. Now, time out. A Samaritan. Jesus is making a clear illustration. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They're the ones who live up north of Jerusalem. In years and years before, it was the Samaritans or that area of Samaria where the northern tribes of Israel rebelled against God. They went into idolatry. They even relocated the worship center for instead of it being in Jerusalem, they made it a new place in Samaria. So as far as the Jewish people that lived in Jerusalem were concerned, the Samaritans were the worst of the worst of the worst. In fact, when they would travel to go north, they would skirt around the region of Samaria so as not to ever pass through it to defile themselves because it was so bad. So now Jesus is using this incredible illustration. The Samaritan journeys down this same road, came where he was, and when he saw this guy laying in the ditch, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of it, and whatever you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. So Jesus posed the question, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor him, to him who fell among the thieves? Well, the man answered correctly. He said, well, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus then said, go and do likewise. What's the point? We know this is the story of the good Samaritan. Because Jesus was illustrating who's the neighbor. Did the Samaritan guy, did he know the man in the ditch by name? No. No relationship. He sees a man who's in need of mercy, in need of compassion, and he engages it. No relationship. I don't know if their relationship continued after this moment outside of the fact that he took him to the inn, paid the tab to make sure he's well cared for. We don't know if that relationship lived on or if they never saw each other again. Does it matter? Jesus didn't talk about that I, that mattered. And so when I go to the scripture now and try to build a biblical definition of neighbor, you'll find that word is translated this way. A person who is near, physically, geographically, could be near. Brethren, friend, fellow, husband, so we can even enter this into the relationships at home. So my neighbor then is 
people that are in my sphere. It doesn't matter who. Do I even know them? Not always. It's people that I encounter. But he drives this relationship clear all the way to the home, where I would now have to say, Amy is my neighbor. Hallianna is my neighbor. My kids are my neighbor. And we don't think of it that way. We don't use that type of term. But from a biblical understanding, we need to. So now let's examine that idea carefully. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, watch this play out. Same terminology. Husbands. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, how are we instructed to love a neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So now we're instructed as husbands to love our wives as ourselves, right? For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So this idea of neighbors now driving right into our homes, husband-wife relationships. And what does this look like? What does love look like in this relationship? Well, it nourishes and cherishes. Well, the idea of nourishment, we understand what that means. It's, it's the feeding, the, the food and water, so to speak. Well, that can be physical, but it certainly can also be spiritual. From, an in, from a perspective of, of speaking and living in the manner of truth, but it's also very physical in the manner of provisions, in the manner of protecting. If I'm going to nourish my children, I'm going to make sure that they have the needs that they, to be able to live and to be able to grow and to be able to prosper. Same thing for my wife. So where does the contrast of this, if we hear the vernacular of the day, you might hear someone say, man, I'm just, I'm just starving for attention. It's a starvation. There's a lack of nourishment. I'm starving emotionally for emotional connection. I'm starving for companionship. See, that's what nourishment looks like beyond just food and drink. It's nourishment for the soul. But he also said that the husband cherishes his wife, and cherishing is a, is a word that esteems value. We all know where we find, as men, we know how we find value and worth in our life, so we, we understand that about ourselves very well. But what about our wives? We are to cherish them and value them in the same manner we value us, meaning we like to be esteemed. Do we esteem our wives? And esteeming the value, giving honor. Matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 3 gives a very specific instruction that husbands are to honor their wives as the weaker vessel, which doesn't mean they're a weakling and pitiful. No, they're, they're weaker, yes, physically in stature and structure typically. But it also speaks to an aspect of value. It speaks about a vessel that's a very high-dollar elite vessel. It's not the everyday pot you run the water through. This is the special one that is only used special occasions, so you treat it that way, that it's, it's the unique one. Because it's your wife, that's why. This is the husband that bears the weight of things, that helps do things that are physical. I've realized, you know, my wife isn't the biggest person. You guys have probably seen that. But Amy, Amy is capable of doing a tremendous amount of things. And when I am disabled, she can kick into gear and do what needs to be done to take care of stuff that I would normally do. Well, that doesn't absolve me from ever doing those things again. But it is to honor her, to, to bear the weight of those things and do things physically because, well, quite frankly, I don't want my wife all wore out trying to take care of all these things that, 
that I can take care of or that I should take care of to be able to help her. But there are times in our lives, in our marriage, that I could not physically do certain things, and Amy was more than able to do that. But to show value and honor to her, I would want to take the weight and take care of those things and relieve the burdens and the, and the things that are difficult. But this also speaks into this aspect of value and not feeling worthless. I hear these phrases, I feel invisible. Like, hello, I live in this house with you. Do you see me? I'm here. <laughs> to feel left out. You're making decisions without me. And I, we never talk about this stuff. And somehow you just go do your thing. To be demeaned somehow doesn't speak of value when a husband's eyes are wandering and looking everywhere else, but not for his own wife. This speaks of husbands loving his neighbor. And his nearest neighbor is his wife. The text also, the Word of God teaches about wives, and I think one, a great verse for this is Proverbs chapter 31, where in verse 12 says, where she does him good, speaking about her husband, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. You know, she's designed, the wife is for her neighbor, her husband, to, to be his helper. Well, we need help. There's no question. Any man that's honest enough would say, I need help in a lot of different ways. But a woman who helps is not exploiting those weaknesses. They just fill in those gaps. They don't have to even talk about them. They just fill them in. They see it plain as day. They just don't have to exploit it. Proverbs affirms that because it says that a wise woman builds up her house, but the foolish one tears it down. So a woman who's tearing down her husband, she's destroying her house. It's not very wise. She's a fool. She shows respect to him because Ephesians 5 gives the clear command, husbands, love your wives, and wives, respect your husbands. And what is she respecting? Sometimes he's not always respectable. He makes decisions that are stupid or does things that are not wise. Is he still to be respected? Yes, because of the, the, he's your husband. That's why. It's showing him respect in the sense of uh, affirming and support and encouragement. And I'm uh, your companion. I'm alongside with you. I'm supporting you. She speaks well of him and never speaks ill of him outside of their walls of their home and their relationship. She does him good. And here's what's cool about this. And the next verse in Proverbs says that the heart of her husband safely trusts in her. That's powerful. Because the husband trusts his wife. Why? Because she's done him good and not evil all the days of her life. The husband is the neighbor, the near neighbor to the wife. So this idea of loving my neighbor as myself drives right square into my house. But it also goes right into the church. All relationships are going to get touched here. 1 John chapter 3 speaks into the brethren. But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? It's a total contradiction that we would see a need in a brother's life and do nothing. It says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. There's feet that get put to this. That's why, you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, our favorite chapter at any wedding, right? We get to hear love is patient, love is kind, it's not rude, boastful, and arrogant, all that. Yes, it's true. You know why we love that? Because it's love with shoes on. It's not just an emotional connection. It's love in action that's doing something. 
And that's exactly the way the scripture describes when I love my neighbor, it's not just some emotional feeling that I have about him. It's looking upon with compassion and it mobilizes me then to do something. As a husbandman, I have a responsibility to do things to demonstrate love to my wife. Likewise, she does the same for me. Same way right here among the brethren, we show love to each other. How do we do that? Well, the Bible's replete with all kinds of ways. We show hospitality, we serve, we care, we love, we give, we support. We do all kinds of things, but when we see a brother in need, the question that was posed in 1 John was, if you see a brother in need and you hold back that which you have that could bless that individual, that would be indicative the love of God is not living there. It doesn't abide there. But the relationship now stretches past even the church, to all people. Galatians 6, 9, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. To all! This wasn't just talking churchy people. To all. Especially to those of the household of faith. You don't want to jump over the, your own household. No. But we don't want to neglect the rest of the world either. And so this is the calling on our life, is all relationships become our neighbor, even those that are far, far away. Even the widows and orphans, no matter where they are. Isaiah 1, 17 says this, Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, Plead for the widow. These are all relationships. Now I want to share some things with you that help understand maybe things that we do and why. Not just the what, but the bigger aspect of the why. And maybe this will serve as an encouragement and a huge blessing to you today, but it also maybe it will challenge you. Because I don't know about you, but there's, there's so much happening in our world, and I try to discern, what do I need to do with what I see? Because it's, it's a difficulty. We drive into town today, and you take an exit ramp, and there's going to be somebody standing there holding a sign that says they need food. Well, do they need food? I don't know. I'm not, I can't figure that relationship out in the, in the four seconds I'm at the intersection. What do I do with that? Do I throw them food? Do I throw them money? You know, I bet if I asked in this room, we would all have a different idea about it. But that's a, that's a struggle. Does anybody here struggle with that besides me? Okay. I know that there are homeless people in our community. I also have learned that there are homeless people who want to be homeless. And you're like, uh-uh. Yes, they do. Because they don't want to have the responsibility of rent or payments of any kind. They like to be kind of nomadic and they, they dig the cart. It's the life. They want that. And you ask them, do you want, if I could make you a house, put you in a spot, do you want it? Absolutely not. But then there's some disconnects with some of that, isn't there? Because then if you don't work, you don't eat. You're supposed to labor with your own hands, but somehow you're still, you may not have a house payment, but you're still requiring assistance from everywhere in order to put clothes on your back and food in your belly that comes from somewhere. And so I'm processing through all the time what scripture is being violated for this scenario? And then what is my responsibility in it? Because Jesus told me the poor will be with you always. 
I find this a very difficult challenge constantly of what do I do? What is my responsibility here? What is our responsibility as a church? You know, we roll back to, well, what's my mission and my purpose? Our, our mission and purpose is to make disciples, so I'm going to run on that rail. Because I recognize, you know, I could feed the whole world, and we've probably got enough food figured out, we could probably make that happen. We could feed everybody, but if someone goes warm and filled to hell because they didn't ever learn about Jesus, was the mission ever really accomplished? Did I really show love to someone by just giving them something without giving them the truth of eternal life? If I can clothe the one that's cold and they go in warmth into an eternal separation from God because I, I clothed them, I just never gave them the truth. Well, did I do wrong by clothing them? I don't think I did wrong by clothing them. Where I missed it was I missed the point. And so here's the challenge, and here's the blessings, and I want to share all these things with you today. When you see in the news a war that's happening in Ukraine, actually, I take it back, you don't see it in the news, and that's kind of awkward. And we get politicized in these conversations because our country is sending a massive amount of dollars in aid. And we have some want to cut it off, and some want to send more, and everybody jumps on either side of those conversations. It's really not the point. Because here's the struggle in it. Wars create widows, wars create orphans. And we have a missionary there that our church is connected to. That for 20-something years, his work was to plant churches. That meant he would go into a community and disciple someone, win someone to Jesus, and raise them up and train them and probably multiple someones to do that and ultimately establish a local church in that location. And that church would then birth more churches or he would move on and do this in more places. Well, that's not what ministry looks like right now. The entire country is blown to smithereens. And so now what does he do? Well, now he just provides all kinds of relief and he walks into a village and there's no presence of a church there, none whatsoever. But you have widows and you now have orphans and you have buildings blown to pieces. And you know what they need right now? They need Jesus, but they also need some plastic. They need firewood. They need a stove. They need a generator. They need food or they're not going to make it to spring. I think I have some pictures I wanted to share from Buddy if they're available to us today just to let you see kind of what we're dealing with. I mean, this is a, I don't know this lady, but my friend does. The missionary in Ukraine does. He's all up in the middle and created a chaplaincy with the, with the military guys. Right now, the temperature there is about 10 degrees, and it will not get above zero from about next week until March. Have you ever imagined living in a place that was concrete with the windows and doors blown out, and all you're going to put over the face is plastic, and you're going to live inside of that? We complain because our double-pane windows leak. What is my responsibility to this? I can't go rescue the whole world. We can't feed everyone in Ukraine. You're right. But we have a, a mission partner there that we can partner alongside with him. And he's going into these villages and sharing truth with these people. And he shows up in the name of Jesus. And people are like, where do you get all this stuff? And he gets to tell them, you know what? 
there are people who love Jesus on the other side of the planet that's making this possible. And I come to tell you the greatest story. They love you, but even more, there's a God in heaven who loves you and has made provision for you. And he's showing up and people are coming to know Jesus Christ in the midst of chaos. Is he solving their problems? No, the country's a mess. Do I agree politically? Don't care about it. I just know there's widows, there's orphans, there's people who have no relationship with God. And I have a responsibility to that. And because we have a partner there that is ministering the gospel, we have a responsibility to him. And we want to exercise that responsibility. And I want to commend, that's why I want to commend you all. Because you all are faithful week to week, month to month, to give and support the ministries through one community, when we have opportunities to help, we can jump in and help. So we've provided assistance to Ukraine. As a matter of fact, this last week, um, our, our trustee guys gr- gathered together again and approved we're, we're sending another $5,000 to support. Why? Because there's another physician in South Carolina that's loaded an entire container full of medical and relief supplies that's going to be able to be shipped, but somebody's got to help pay the tab to get it there. So through the network of churches, we can do a small piece, just a small piece, But you know what it turns into? Containers that come off of ships that are massive in scope and can literally transform a village and rescue people that would perish without the stuff. And we get to be a part of that. It's called loving your neighbor. I will potentially, this side of heaven, never meet any of those people. Do I still have a responsibility there? Yeah, because God's put us in a relationship and we're going to work through the relationship we've been given. Likewise, we have a friend and our, our mission partner in, in Togo, Africa. Mike Knapper has trained up a pastor, Pastor David. David's a cool dude. We, many of us know David. This guy's getting ready to start pastoring a church. Well, he needs a moto to get to there. Otherwise, he's either walking or having to ride the back of somebody else's. That doesn't always work out. So for 1500 bucks, you can provide transportation for this guy to travel and do his job. Well, that just makes sense. And so we've just recently sent resources to where David can get a moto. I love the ministry at Dogwood Ranch. We have that available? Dogwood, right here locally. They stand in the gap. For who? Foster children that have aged out of the system that still need some help. And so they provide counsel and resources and equine therapy and all kinds of things for foster children that are aged out or for soldiers who come home struggling with the results of warfare, PTSD, and other things. Well, we partner with them, and we're able to give them resources. Pregnancy Care Center, they're our neighbor, and they help with folks that are struggling with decisions to be made in unplanned pregnancy, whether it's, whether it's the woman or the man, and giving counsel there and some, and some instruction and some resources that are exceedingly helpful. Well, as a church, when we get notified that some other person has offered to double the gift, so we'll do a match, which means every dollar we can give to pregnancy care, someone else matches that. Well, it makes sense. We can double our giving resource very easily. So we've chosen to do that. We can't do that stuff if we're not faithful all along. That's the point is when we love our neighbor, we're not only working in the present moment of what's before us, but we prepare because those moments come it's why even 
when I think about, we've got an opportunity this next, in this month of December, we're going to go caroling as a church, go to Springhouse Village. It's a nursing facility. Everybody's invited. We should swamp that place. A facility full of elder adults who, who just want to be loved on and encouraged and sing, go to church, who usually cannot physically go to church somewhere else, so we take church to them. We've got a team of guys and ladies that have been going there for quite a long time now, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. We can all participate in this. We can all go caroling. What? It's just an event. No, it's how you show love to your neighbor, to bring encouragement to people that maybe are home alone, maybe can't get out as much, can't go do things when it's dark outside. And we have a way to bless people in our church and in our community and just show love to them. I think about this ministry that we've been talking about with Sleep in Heavenly Peace, and we've challenged our church about this a lot because it's staggering to realize the volume of young people in our community that sleep on the floor or on the couch or there's four kids in bed with mom. Well, when we become aware of that, the school system, of course, made us aware of this a long time ago and enacted some steps we need to take. They're our neighbors. We want to help. But if we just walk in a door and build a bed, that's nice. I mean, that's really an incredibly kind gesture. It goes past all that. Everything I'm describing here fits inside of a purpose because I want to love you as my neighbor because why? I love God. And I want my love of God to reflect in the manner in which I love you. And so it's so easy for a small amount of money you can engage with helping a kid get a bed. If you want a $5 pillow or a $20 bed set, you can do all of that and grab cards today out on the, on the little easel thing out in the atrium and it will give you a prompt or reminder. You can go to the website and give that way. You can pray. Guys, how many, Caleb, how many beds behind are we right? 13? He's got 13 bed orders that need to go out immediately. We don't even have those beds built yet. The frames and all the stuff. We don't have the bedding for those things yet. This happens. It's just perpetual. But it's, we want to show love to our neighbors in our community. And this is one way we do it. The scripture teaches us, Jesus said this, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? You have love one for another. It's a language that speaks, and I have, some of you know, I have lived in other places in the world, and the language that transcends the spoken language is love. When you show up with a blessing, an embrace, and sometimes just being present in a major moment of hurt and chaos, and you pray, and possibly they don't even understand what you're saying. But there is no question love is present here. It is what we've been called to. I invite you today to align with the Lord Jesus Christ in your love for the Lord. If, if you haven't yet started a relationship with Jesus, today's your day. By faith, call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. There's only one Lord, and it is Him. He is God. To call upon Him and ask Him today to save you from your sin. And He will do that because He paid for it for you. He can save you from it.
I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Today, let's align our lives with the Lord. Love God, reflected in love people. If today's the day in your heart, you know that this is the day I need to, I need to start a relationship with Jesus. I don't have a real relationship. I know about him, sort of, but I, I don't have a relationship with him. How do you begin a relationship with Jesus? How do you know when you walk out of this place today that you have eternal life? So come what may, it's all okay, because I know I'll be with Jesus. How do you know that? Scripture teaches it very plainly. That when we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'd be saved. Saved from sin, saved from the judgment of sin, which is a place called hell that's separate from God. And I'm saved from it. How did that happen? By faith, I call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to save me. Maybe that's the transaction of your heart needs to happen today. Right where you're seated call upon Jesus. Christ followers in this room, how's God speaking into your heart today when it comes to loving a neighbor? Maybe it's the neighbor sitting next to you, the neighbor that lives in the same home as you. It's the person on their, on their way to work every day. You don't even know their name. It's the person around the world that's connected through maybe a ministry partner. How's God speaking into your heart today in regards to your response to how how does God want me to engage my neighbor and love them and reflect the love of Christ that can be visible? Father, I pray you would teach us today and help us, Lord, uh, to respond to you, the prompting of your spirit, and that, Lord, today we would love you in response to your love for us, but we'd love people, knowing that, Lord, that is... That is the one thing that the language that is spoken, the word that can be seen of our relationship with you is how we love people. Lord, thank you for giving us a, our hope in Jesus Christ the Lord and that we can abide in you. We love you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.